If you have your copy of scripture, I invite you to turn with me to the tiny book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk, or looking in Habakkuk chapter 2. And um, you may need a few moments to, uh, to find that. It's a, a tiny book, uh, but some great stuff in here for the church. And uh, so it's one of the smallest books actually in the, the Bible, but some, uh, some powerful stuff from this prophet even for our church today. Um, you have to forgive me if I you know, sit through the, the whole sermon. I'm a little shorter than I normally am up here, uh, but I am hobbling around with a boot. So far, I've only caught one person's foot um, with the, the boot, so I think I'm doing, doing pretty well hobbling around, uh, but uh, it does need a little break, so sorry, I'll just have to, uh, to sit through this. Um, I'll read through um, Habakkuk chapter 2 verses 4 to, uh, to 20 in, in just a few moments. But I just have a little recap because it's been a week or so uh, break in our, our series of Habakkuk. And you recognize, maybe you remember that Habakkuk is a prophet of God. Now, we don't know a lot about uh, Habakkuk, but we do know that he was serving in the time of, of Jeremiah and of Nahum. Uh, if you look in his books, you see many of the same uh, stories, especially in Nahum, it follows uh, a lot of the same storyline. This is around the time of the uh, the fall of Jerusalem, and uh, the constant attacks on the people of Israel by uh, the Assyrians. Uh, the Assyrian army uh, was constantly torturing and tormenting and attacking the uh, the people of Israel, ransacking their cities, um, and um, and and leaving them wondering where God is in the mix, in the midst of all this. Uh, now, Jeremiah prophesies that all this is going to happen because of uh, the sins of the people and because they've chosen not to follow God. Uh, they've gotten away from God and is a punishment for their sin, but nonetheless, it's um, a grueling time for the people of Israel. And Nahum begins by asking a question, God, how long, how long are you going to allow us to suffer? How long do you allow suffering? And God simply answers, I'm in control. I know what I'm doing. And so Habakkuk asks another question. says, look, let me ask you, why do you allow your people to suffer while your enemies seem to prosper? Those who are trusting in you, God, your own people, Israel, are struggling and suffering under so much pain. And it seems like the worldly people or those who are not following you are doing so well. And God... Um, well, he, he, he actually says, well, look, things are not only bad now, they're, they're going to get worse. We're sending the Babylonians to, uh, to attack you as well. And things are going to get rough. But God said, trust me, I'm at work. Trust me, I'm working on things, even behind the scenes. You see, we, so, we are so limited in what we know and uh, what we experience and what we hear. We're only here for a moment. God is from everlasting to everlasting. And his ways are so much higher than our ways. We have to trust that he knows what he's doing, uh, that he is at work, and that we, through faith in him, uh, can, can know that, uh, that he is in control of it all. Now, let me read for you then some of um, what Habakkuk's story says is, to, is in store for those who, um, who choose not to follow God, those who are against God. We'll begin with what was the last verse from uh, our reading a couple weeks ago, which was Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4. It says, See, the enemy is puffed up, 
His desires are not upright, but the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. Indeed, wine betrays him. He is arrogant and never at rest. Because he is as greedy as the grave and like death is never satisfied, he gathers to himself all the nations and takes captive all the peoples. Will not all of them taunt him with ridicule and scorn, saying, Woe to him who piles up stolen goods and makes himself wealthy by extortion. How long must this go on? Will not, credit, will not your creditors suddenly arise? Will they not wake up and make you tremble? Then you will become their prey. Because you have plundered many nations, the peoples who are left will plunder you. For you have shed human blood, you have destroyed lands and cities and everyone in them. Woe to him who builds his house by unjust gain, setting his nest on high to escape the clutches of ruin. You have plotted the ruin of many peoples, shaming your own house and forfeiting your life. The stones of the wall will cry out. The beams of the woodwork will echo it. Woe to, who, sorry, woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed and establishes a town by injustice. Has not the Lord Almighty determined when the, when the people's labor is only fuel for the fire? Uh, that the people's labor is only fuel for the fire, that the nations exhaust themselves for nothing. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Woe to him who drink sorry, woe to him who gives drink to his neighbors, pouring it from the wineskins until they are drunk, so he can gaze on their naked bodies. You will be filled with shame instead of glory. Now it's your turn. Drink and let your nakedness be exposed. The cup of the Lord's right hand is coming around to you, and disgrace will cover your glory. The violence you have done to Lebanon will overwhelm you, and your destruction of animals will terrify you. For you have shed human blood. You have destroyed lands and cities and everyone in them. Of what value is an idol covered by craftsmen, or an image that teaches lies? For the one who makes it... It's, Sorry, for the one who makes it trust in his own creation, the one who makes it trust in his own creation, he makes idols that cannot speak. Woe to him who says to wood, come to life, or to lifeless stone, wake up. Can it give guidance? It is covered with gold and silver, and there's no breath in it. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. Let's just pray. God, we thank you for the reading of your word. Lord, we pray that you just guide us through it now and be glorified through it all. Speak to our hearts and challenge our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, it's a big passage with uh, a lot of things in there that talk about what those look like who don't follow God. Those who just outright rejected him and turned against him. Now, Habakkuk would have in mind the Assyrians who uh, went straight for, uh, for bloodshed and they, they ransacked villages and, and killed whole communities uh, to take over the lands. Or you may think of the Chaldeans, these Babylonians that were coming in to... Uh, Habakkuk had said himself through the prophecy that um, God is saying, I'm sending these Chaldeans, these Babylonians in to further ransack your cities and to... Uh, to take the most of, uh, make the most of all that you have, even through bloodshed. 
And you may look at some of this passage and say, well, these sound like terrible people. But we'll see that sometimes our world today is not that unlike this world, uh, just in some different areas, but different ways. But we, we end up doing many of the same things. Now, I, uh, when I was growing up, one of the first jobs I had was working on a horse farm. And um, one of the things is important to do when you're working, when I was riding a horse, uh, was we had pretty easy commands. Now, one of the commands we always used was saying, whoa, if you wanted the horse to stop, okay? And you'd pull back on the reins and uh, go with your feet. And I remember, uh, I don't know if you've ever ridden a horse uh, like either on saddleback or um, without any handles. Now, we had the old western saddles you know, that had the, the horn on there and you can grab onto for dear life and go. But I remember saddle-breaking horses, and you would um, sit down on this, uh, this horse and just, uh, he would buck and kick and stuff until he would throw you off. And you'd get back on and do it again until he'd get used to the saddle. And one horse, we decided we were going to take him out in the ring because um, we thought, it's, it's time, he's getting used to the saddle enough, we'll see how he goes with following simple commands like, whoa, to stop, and, uh, and getting him to to walk and then uh, canter and run. And so I'm walking along with this horse, and I'm getting him to go, and I, I did a, just a short little walk, and said, whoa, and pulled back on the reins, and he stopped. And then I got him to walk and then get into this canter, which is more of a jog, and then a run. But this horse, he started running, he started getting faster and faster and faster, and I thought, what is this horse doing? And we started going down the straight stretch of this ring, which is an outdoor ring, and uh, we, he gets faster and faster. And I thought, he's not going to make this corner. And then I got, and I'm only 12-year-old when I was riding this horse. And I get up and I realize he's not even intending to make this corner. He jumped over the fence. At the end, he runs as fast as he can, jumps over the fence, and just keeps going. And whoa was probably the last thing I was saying. I was like, whoa, and pulling back, he's not stopping. He's running, his heart's content, and he's running and bucking until I wasn't on him anymore. Uh, well, sometimes... Uh, sometimes the word "woe" might still mean to uh, you know to stop uh, what you're doing. Sometimes that works. Sometimes it not. Well, here in in the book of Habakkuk, we see a lot of the word "woe." Now, in one sense, God is saying, "Stop this behavior. Uh, stop what you're doing and listen to me." But in a greater sense, He's actually saying, "I'm warning you that if you continue to reject God, you continue to work against Him. These are the sort of things which are going to happen." Now, this is actually still God's response to Habakkuk's second question, which is, why do people, your people seem to suffer while the people who are enemies of you, God, seem to prosper? And God goes into this whole thing saying, woe to those uh, who are against him. He begins by saying, woe to those who are greedy. Now, we live in a world of, of commercialism, a world that says, Take what you want, uh, every man for himself. It's a time of, of scams and tricks in which businesses are only after more and more money. And Christians, unfortunately, are not immune to it. We live in a society of people who are often out for themselves at any cost. And we have to watch that we, we don't fall down the same slippery slope ourselves. We have to watch that uh, what, we are, uh, what we are purchasing and what we are doing in this sort of commercial world 
is trying to be a best practice and trying to honor God. Because we live in a, especially a Western society, who's about profit and about the gain. We have to, to, to do our homework and try to do some work to see that the companies we're supporting, the things we're doing, are trying to do the right thing. Now, many of you will be aware of the fair trade stamp, which can be on different um, uh, some clothing uh, manufacturers, but mostly on tea and coffee and things like that. What that's about is trying to make sure that um, that everyone is is looked after. Trying to make sure that if, if you're buying something that that is is fair trade, uh, it's just saying that they're, they're trying to make sure that people of every level of the industry, from the farmer or the factory worker to the retailer, is getting a fair go. Now. In today's society, all around the world, uh, especially in third world countries, you have farmers and factory workers, even child laborers, uh, who are in terribly harsh conditions, who are exploited to gain the profits for Western companies that we use every day. Now, coffee and tea, clothing are just some examples of that. And we'll, have more, we'll, we'll talk more about this in a, a few weeks ahead. But we need to try to make sure that uh, what we're drinking, what we're eating, and the things we're wearing uh, are, have been made and, and, and um, provided for us by people who are treated fairly. That we're not supporting uh, companies who are exploiting others for their own gain. The people here in um, verses 5 to 9 says are, are, are arrogant and they're, they're always at work deceiving others. They're never satisfied, always needing more. Verse 5 says they won't stop until they've taken over the world. Cities and countries, nothing will stand in their way. They plunder nations and cities. In verse 8, verse 9 says they gain their wealth and prosperity by causing others to suffer. And it sounds like terrible stuff, but we need to recognize that it is not only just terrible back then, it's terrible when we allow it to happen today. God says, not only watch out or, or woe to those who um, are selfish in this way, but woe to those who are self-centered. Verse 15 talks about people who deceive others for their own selfish satisfaction. Verse 8 and verse 12 talks about those who take whatever they want, even by force or by bloodshed. Now we live in what I'd say is a dog-eat-dog society. And people feel like they have to, 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 to fight with everyone to, uh, to get what they want. People often will drag down others to, uh, to make themselves look better or to, to get ahead on the, the corporate ladder or whatever it may be. And even today, this sort of self-centered society works into our, our social media, which is all around the world now. And especially for... Millennials, we, we pray for this generation because it's so often about how many likes a status has or how many Facebook friends someone has or how many people have rated their pick as, as, as hot or, or not. And it's all about looks and the appearance of success. And it's about putting down others so that you look better. And the Bible says here, woe to those who will do whatever it takes to make themselves gain 
while others suffer. Woe to the merciless. Now here in verse 17, it says, The violence you've done to Lebanon will overwhelm you. The destruction of your animals will terrify you. You've caused human bloodshed. You've destroyed lands and cities and everyone in them. You've taken whatever you want by the harm of others. Now, these Assyrians were some of the, the worst, uh, the, the most brutal armies uh, of the time. They just constantly ransacked whole cities, killed women and children and animals, took whatever they wanted for themselves. The Chaldeans who were coming in, these Babylonians, did the same. And so for Habakkuk, his mind would have automatically went to these sort of people who were doing this to the nation of Israel. But in our day, we see very similar things. We are seeing today on our news every single day things that most of us would never think we'd see in our lifetime. Horrific things from, from groups who are merciless. Groups like uh, the ones who are calling themselves the Islamic State and other lone wolf radicalized Muslim terrorists. We see the killing of Christians and Jews mercilessly. We see the overtaking of lands at growing rates, threatening death to whomever stands in their way. They cause the people of God all across the world to tremble and to fear. And they seem, as the Assyrians and these Chaldeans would be, they seem to be an unstoppable force. Killing people and animals, violently overtaking the cities. The Bible says here, woe to those who are like this, who are merciless in their pursuit of God's people. Woe to those who are godless. Verse 18 and 19 says, uh, it's kind of a side note saying, you have turned away from God. You're serving different idols and different things that you've made with your hands. Uh, statues that you've made out of wood and maybe you've covered in, in gold or silver. But what you're worshipping, what you're trying to follow uh, is pointless. It's just a created thing that will get you nowhere. And destruction in the end will be your end. There's also those who serve false gods. So you're putting your trust in one who cannot answer, one who cannot be there for you. And we see, likewise, uh, a world in which uh, there are different gods that people serve all the time. We serve... Uh, we, we, have a live, sorry, we live in a society of people with different religious groups, oftentimes trying to say that it's all the same God. It's all the same teachings. The Bible says there is one God, the Lord God, who we serve faithfully. And to Him alone are we to be faithful. There are many false gods out there, like Allah and Buddha and Krishna, that people in our own communities may be seeking to serve, trying to honor trying to follow the traditions of their faith, and it's pointless, for it only leads to destruction. For they have rejected the one true God, or not trusted in Him. Now, how does God respond to those who reject Him? We've mentioned those, uh, kind of what they look like and um, how they're living like. But how does God respond to this? First of all, God is a just God. He is a just God who um, 
says that for our sin, we deserve to be separated from Him. But I want to recognize that God is also a God of grace. And anyone who calls on the name of the Lord, the book of Romans says, will be saved. So what it's talking about here in this passage is people who have chosen not to follow God. They've chosen to reject God and to, to go their own way. They've chosen to turn away from, from His grace. And uh, so it says the Lord Himself will judge. Verse 7, 10, and 16 says, Because of the suffering that you have caused, you will suffer and you will be, live in shame. Verse 17 and 19 says, Because of your violent sins and your rejection of God, you will be overwhelmed. And verse 20 is a beautiful, it's a beautiful uh, verse of comfort, I think, but it's to them a warning saying, The Lord is in His holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before Him. Saying to the people who have rejected God, He is on His throne and He will be faithful uh, to judge uh, the living and the dead. He will judge all people according to how they live and according to what they have done with Christ. Revelation chapter uh, 20, verses 12 to 15, talks about uh, this judgment. Or verses 12 and 15 talk about this judgment. It says in verse 12, I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were open. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. And verse 15 says, Anyone whose name was not found in this book of life was thrown in the lake of fire. Habakkuk was waiting and watching for these uh, Assyrians and then these Babylonians to be destroyed. He wanted God to step in and wipe those who were doing wrong off the face of the earth. Chapter 2, verse 1 says, He's going to stand up on his watchtower and I'm going to wait and see, God, how you're going to respond. I want to see you, God, wipe these people out. I want to see you, God, stand victorious against this evil. And God says, the, the day is coming. For we know that in the end of life, in the end of all time, there will be a time in which God will sit on his throne and judge all people who have lived for all time for what they've done with God. Now, grace... And forgiveness is available in this life to any. The punishment and eternal, sorry, punishment and eternal separation from God. Spiritual death is what is in store for any who choose to not believe in God, who reject God. Worse than any physical death for any who reject God and His amazing grace. We so often want to see God act now and we want to see those suffer who are causing suffering. God offers grace in this life. He, he says that the day will come in which people will, will be judged on how they responded to me. But no matter how we live, God offers forgiveness and hope and grace. Yes, there will be punishments for how we live, but He offers grace. Now, we often want to be the judge. We want to decide what the punishment should be for people who are doing wrong to us for violent criminals around the world. But separation from God is a punishment for all who sin. For all the sin is the same. And eternal life is a gift of God to any who believe and who put their trust in Him. And we need to trust God and to live by faith, 
trusting that he knows what is best, that he is in control, that he will champion for his people, that he will protect us, that he will share his love and grace, but also that he will share his love and grace with any who will trust in him. Let's just pray. Dear God, I just thank you and I praise you for your grace and your mercy. For you, Lord, know our hearts. You know our lives and, and even the sin and the wrong that we've done. You know us completely. And yet you still choose to love us and to show us grace. Thank you, Lord, for that mercy. And thank you, Lord, that you show mercy and grace even to those who, who reject you, who turn away from you. And you offer you offer all the days of our life opportunity to turn to you. And you will show grace and mercy to any who will trust in you, to any who will believe. And Lord, we recognize that to reject you and to, to live against you, to, to turn our lives away from you and to reject your offer of grace is a death sentence. For we will be eternally separated from you. Lord, we pray, even for our worst enemies, that they not make that mistake, but that you continue to show your love and grace and opportunities for people to know you as their Lord and Savior, that they might experience the love and the grace and the hope and the freedom that we have today. Lord, help us to not try to be the judge, but to leave it to you. Help us, Lord, to not try even to have all the answers, to have it all worked out, but to trust in you, our great God, who is so much greater than our thoughts, so much greater than our ways, our eternal God, who leads us through every day of our life, Help us, God, to live by faith, to trust you with it all. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.